Star Wars 7x7 episode 729 today. It's a Clone Wars briefing. We're looking at the Mandalore plot, which is season 2, episode 12 of the Clone Wars. It's the first of a three-part story arc, and it introduces some very important characters into the Clone Wars series. Punch it, Chewie. Hi, I'm Amy Rackliff from Full of Sith, and you're listening to Star Wars 7x7, the only daily Star Wars podcast. Hey Rebel Rouser, welcome to Star Wars 7x7. I'm your host Alan Voivod, and here is the deal in brief with this episode. So, there is such a thing as a council of neutral systems that are not taking sides in the war between the Republic and the Separatists, and it is comprised of some 1,500 worlds. Pretty impressive. But they have a new leader, Duchess Satine of Mandalore, and there are rumors that she may actually be arming for joining the Separatists in the cause. And so Obi-Wan has to go to Mandalore to find out what the deal is about that. Come to find out, Mandalore has long since renounced its ways, its warrior ways. They used to be a very warlike culture, but all of its warriors have been exiled to one of the moons around Mandalore, Concordia. And in the meantime, the new Mandalorians are now all pacifists, basically. But there was a person dressed in Mandalorian armor who attacked a Republic ship and then committed suicide before he could be captured for questioning. So now we have Obi-Wan verbally sparring with Satine about the situation. And she tells him that there is an organization called Death Watch that has been doing more, you know, local gangstery things and graffiti and vandalism and that sort of thing, and that they aren't a big deal and that their folks are looking into it. Then, of course, there is a bombing of a memorial site and a Death Watch hologram shows up and they track down the guy, but he tries to commit suicide. Almost does, but Satine is able to talk to him before he dies. Anyway, point being, Obi-Wan decides, I think I better go to Concordia, and Satine says, well, I'm going to have to come with you because you're going to need somebody to grease the wheels over there. And the way they talk to each other, you know they've had some sort of past interaction. We don't yet know what the scoop is with it. I've heard enough over the years where I have an inkling of where this is going, but I think we're going to find out in the next couple of episodes because, as I said, this is a three-episode arc. The next episode is called Voyage of Temptation, so I think you have an idea of where things might be going, as I do. So they fly to Concordia, and they meet the governor there, Pre Vizsla, and Satine makes an excuse off the top of her head, seemingly, about why she shows up for dinner with Pre Vizsla and Obi-Wan doesn't. She says he's off meditating when, in fact, he's going to scout a mining facility to see that it is, in fact, no longer active. Turns out it is actually active, and they are making a ton of Mandalorian armor, and two Mandalorian warriors attack him and knock him out. And then we get into the James Bond trap. They get Obi-Wan suspended in some sort of force field upside down, naturally, because then it's even crazier. And he's on an assembly line about to get smashed. Conveniently, there are a bunch of rocks that are in a force field ahead of him, so he gets to see what his fate will be. Smashed in between these two giant metal plates and then dropped over a series of tumbling gears that grind and break rocks up. So thankfully, he's already given Satine a little earbud calm and he's able to call her for help. She shows up and distracts the guards the Mandalorian warriors that are there so she can sneak in and turn the machine off just in time and kick some sort of other, you know, random piece of equipment into the gears that Obi-Wan can conveniently fall on top of and jump out of danger. 
But eventually they get outside and face down a bunch of Mandalorian warriors, including a leader with a little cape. That's how you know he's the leader, because he has a little cape. He takes his helmet off, and it turns out it is Pre Vizsla. And he is the leader of this Death Watch organization, which is also working with Count Dooku to come back to life. Dooku is actually working on building up these warriors, which makes sense if they're as fearsome as they ought to be. But Vizsla whips out something that has heretofore been unseen and was rather exciting to see. He pulls out something called a dark saber, which according to Wikipedia is, quote, an ancient black-bladed lightsaber. The weapon once belonged to the Jedi Order, but was stolen by the Mandalorians in a conflict with the Jedi during the fall of the Old Republic. The dark saber was passed down generation to generation by the ancestors of Pre Vizsla, who held on to the weapon even after the pacifist ideals of the new Mandalorians replaced the warrior ways of Mandalore. The last known Mandalorian to own the blade was Pre Vizsla, leader of the Death Watch during the Clone Wars. Which I guess means this thing isn't getting passed down to his kids or anything like that. So I guess we'll have to see what happens with the Darksaber from there. But it's almost samurai sword-like, and I don't know, I thought that was pretty cool, actually. And, you know, like, make <laughs> make a toy of that one, guys. That one I think my kids would absolutely be all over, especially my 8-year-old scorekeeper Declan would be all over a Darksaber. I know it. But I digress. So Pre Vizsla and Obi-Wan get down to it. They start fighting, and Obi-Wan schools him, basically. you know, I guess Obi-Wan is fine one-on-one, but when it's more than one against Obi-Wan, that's when he seems to have trouble. And I guess Pre Vizsla's figured this out, too, because there are three Mandalorian warriors just standing there watching, and he says, Warriors, finish him, or something like that. And they go attack him, and yeah, that proves too much. So Obi-Wan escapes down an elevator shaft with Satine, and rather than chase him down to destroy him, Pre Vizsla says, ah, we gotta get out of here, the jig is up. So they all evacuate the base on Concordia. Ultimately, Satine decides to go to Coruscant to let everybody know that, no, it's not the Mandalorians, it's not actual Mandalore itself, it's just this random splinter group or whatever, and that they will handle their own internal affairs and don't worry about it. And yeah, that pretty much wraps up the episode and sets us up for round two as they are getting on a ship. This seems to be, I don't know if I'm seeing a theme here of episode arcs where episode one happens on a planet and episode two of the arc happens on the ship while it's in transit and episode three of the arc happens on Coruscant or something like that. I don't know why I'm having a feeling that this this kind of pattern seems familiar. But anyway, um, there is one exchange though that I wanted to highlight for you. Well, two, actually. The first one I want to share is the greeting that Satine gives to Obi-Wan Kenobi when they first meet. Well, Master Kenobi, my shining Jedi Knight to the rescue once again. Yeah, so you gather from that that not only have they met in the past, but it wasn't just a passing meeting, that they actually had some sort of sustained interaction of some kind. And then there's this exchange, which is taking things entirely to a different level. I have to tell you, I'm opposed to all of this. I'd be disappointed if you weren't. Seems a bit subtle on the face of it, doesn't it? And yet it struck me that that seems to reveal there's been a long-standing relationship, or at least, again, going back to the whole idea of some significant interaction between them previously, whatever it is, that Obi-Wan's reacting to her in a way that we don't see him reacting to other characters in The Clone Wars. I think the closest kind of interaction that he has with any other character similar to this is with Anakin, oddly enough. It's practically familial, if you will, although I have the sensation that with Obi-Wan Satine, it's a little bit more than that. 
But like I said, we're going to have to wait to find out about that. In fact, we're going to have to wait till next week to check out Voyage of Temptation and see where this whole thing goes. Hey, Rebel Rouser. You're listening to this podcast. Maybe you'd like to listen to a Star Wars story, too. Luckily, we've got just the thing for you. We've partnered with Audible to give you a free download and a free 30-day trial of their awesome service. All you got to do is go to audibletrial.com slash SW7X7 to sign up and get your free download. They've got dozens of Star Wars titles. Anything you want to do to explore that galaxy far, far away. One more time for you, audibletrial.com slash SW7X7. All right, it's time for your trivia question. I don't know what to do! Last time we asked you how BB-8 gets into his X-Wing socket, and he's pulled up into it from beneath the X-Wing. Today's question, from where did the Resistance get its emblem? Thanks for listening to another episode of Star Wars 7x7. And hey, before you stow away on a Trade Federation landing craft, check out SW7x7.com for show notes, links, photos, videos, and more. And please support the podcast by joining us on Patreon at patreon.com SW7x7. It's not a short negotiation, it's destiny unleashed. This podcast is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2016 Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.